Let's open our Bibles because it, it's important in Matthew 4.19. Jesus comes and has these people called disciples. And Matthew 4.19. And you, you know the Scripture well, but let's look at it again because it talks tonight about I'm going to value the values in my own personal life. Because I value the values in my life. We talk a little bit about the how, but why should I value the values that God values in my life? Is because if I live those values, it will be my best life. It will be my best life. If I'm a lying type of person, someone said to me once, if you're a liar, you've got to have a good memory. If I'm a lying sort of person, my life will not probably go the best it possibly could if I was honest. How many people love liars? No, we don't, do we? We like honest people, integrous people. Why don't we like liars? Because we just don't, because it's not a godly attribute. And so we look at different things like this, of being a trustworthy person. It's my best life. And Jesus said in verse 19 of chapter 4, He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's an amazing thought there. The part that I get out of it as I meditate upon that scripture and look at it is not just following Jesus and what that means, He's saying, I will make you. And I thought, isn't that wonderful? When I give my life to God and become a follower of Christ, God will make me. I think the most dangerous person in life, and hear me correctly when I say this, is the self-made person. You know, they're self-made. There's something beautiful about a person that God has got involved with their personal life and their, their attitudes and their opinions and their ways, that God has just got involved with their life. The Bible says that God will build a person's life line upon line and precept upon precept. So He's building our life line upon line like that, which essentially I think means sometimes we're kicking out some thoughts and sometimes we're bringing in some new ones and God's building my life line upon line to the point where every line is, is a line that's been established there by God as I've become a, someone who's owned God's values, really owned the values of God. And let that get right down into my heart that God, you as a father watching over my life could trust me with people because that's what Jesus is saying there. I want you to be a person. I'll make you fishers of men. And you can be trusted by me to handle and walk with others. That's a, that's a great responsibility. It's a great opportunity. The question often comes in that, can God trust you? Can God trust you? Can he trust you with people? He trusts you, you know, it's a big, big, big responsibility to be a teacher, the Bible says. A teacher will be held more accountable and things like that. But, you know, even Jess working with, uh, and uh, Chloe's a great example, working with children. Can God trust them with children? Obviously, they believe that he can and in that position. But that shouldn't be something that should be treated lightly. That God doesn't, in a sense, trust everybody. He loves everybody. I'm sure he doesn't trust an axe murderer with your children. He wouldn't trust a pedophile with your children. You wouldn't. Why would God? That's a big thing for God to trust people. Does he trust you? Are you responsible? The word responsibility or responsible comes from the root understanding of responding to God's ability, responsibility. Can I respond to God's ability? 
in my own personal life? Do I know God's part? Do I know my part? And am I learning to, to grow, letting God get around my heart and get around my life? So I'm a, a God-built person, and people sense and feel that because my life, when I talk to them or when I share with them, it comes with a level of conviction. Values, essentially, are the things we're committed to the things we're being convicted about, not just uh, borderline things, but things that I suppose, you know, like lying or cheating or stealing and stuff like that, but things that perhaps even in Christian life can be seen as being a bit immoral, things that aren't quite appropriate in Christian behavior. They're just, they're not bad, they're not wrong, they're just morally not where they should be. Like I always believe in church life that uh, you know, when uh, a pastor or a leader gathers a bunch of people and, and, you know, has those bunch of people and, you know, loves them and cares for them and pastors them and, and considers them as, as being part of the, the, the flock, because a shepherd, the Bible says, is held more accountable or accountable to God for how he cares and looks after the flock. And that's a big responsibility a shepherd takes on. But I think it's immoral. People say, well, it's not. I think it's immoral for someone else to come in and build relationship with those people and then go out and start their own thing. It's, it's immoral to do that. You won't get arrested for it. You mightn't go to jail for it. But it's actually an, an immoral thing to actually do. I know when we were on the Gold Coast and we were planting churches and doing different things like that, and uh, there was this great block of land. It wasn't a block of land. It was a building with a huge block of land on it. And uh, this, uh, forget what's built there. There's a massive stadium. The uh, stadium for the footballers is built right on that property. We would have made millions and millions of dollars out of selling that land. But it was right across the road from another church where this property was and the building was. And I went to the pastor who was the senior pastor of that big church. I sat down with him and I said to him, you know, what we're thinking of doing is we're thinking of buying this building on the other side of of the road of your church. And I'm a bit concerned that that's morally the right thing to do. And he goes, oh, most people wouldn't come and ask. And I go, yeah, but I'm not most people. And I want to ask you, would, would you be okay with that? And he said, well, let me think about it. He said, you may be able, you'd want to take people from our church. And I go, no, we wouldn't want to do that. But he said, it could, you could. I go, well, people, I can't control people and what they do. We sat down and had a talk for about an hour about, you know, church life and things like that. And he said at the end, he said, look, I don't have a problem with you doing it at all. Go ahead and do it. Please, you know, I, you, I want, he said, you've got my blessing on doing that. But I said to him, uh, you know, thank you very much, and went out. I prayed for it, and we fasted as a church. And we didn't feel it was morally right because it wouldn't be looked on by other people as being right. And the Bible says give no appearance of evil. Now, that's not evil, planting another church. But it steps into that realm of going, hey, I don't want to give an appearance of being sneaky or sly or cunning or office like that. I've got more for things to fight than fight, you know, people who want to fight. <laughs> and, and it challenged us, you know, challenged a lot of people who said, well, we don't, we don't roll like that on the Gold Coast as pastors. And I go, well, you may not roll like that, but that's how I want to roll with that integrity. Because morally, I think there's a, a moral code that we as humans could live by. And uh, we'll probably find out one day it's actually in the Bible somewhere. And Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you. But you've got to let him make you. He wants to make you. But have you said, God, I want you to make me? The quickest way, as I said this morning, to grow in the things of God is to be accountable. 
I'm accountable to somebody. The reality is, is that as you know, we pastor the life of the church here, then everybody who lives in the accountability of that then forces, I suppose, me in a way, a good way, and Pastor Jane and the team to be responsible for you. I'm not responsible for the church down the road. I'm not responsible for the church in Victoria. I'm responsible, number one, for this church. That's my job. I know the Prime Minister said that recently. He said, I'm not responsible for every other nation, but I am responsible for this nation called Australia. I thought that's a good statement. That's a healthy statement. I'd like our Prime Minister to make statements like that. And, and so those things are fairly important. Why is this important that we develop values? Because I don't know if it's getting more so, but it seems like it sometimes is there's more pressure from the outside to be someone that you're not. And oftentimes that can take place because there's not enough, you don't value your values enough. And go, no, I've got value. And in turn, taking on more values of how you talk, how you walk, how you dress. Uh, I'm studying things. I'm wanting to learn more. I'm wanting to grow more and more like that. And so I believe before God, it's our duty to, to carry that conviction of the Father's love to other people. Carrying the conviction of the Father's love to, like I said this morning, and I want to say it again tonight, to value people. How important it is to value people. And as I said this morning, is it's very difficult for people to take on values if they don't value themselves. That I'm a valuable person. That God values me. I'm Psalm 139, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He's woven me even in my mother's womb. Before the beginning, he had a plan for my life and so on and so forth. It's being able to have that level of value around my life. I know when I value, and I taught my children this, is to be able to value your own life, then you can add values to it, as I said, that are just like almost like a coat hanger. You can hang them on it. One of the things that I taught our kids is how to respect people. People are valuable to God, then they must be valuable to you. Then how do I respect that person? How do I respect people in leadership? I used to teach my son that. I used to teach uh, Pastor Josh and, and to my daughter Julia. I used to talk to them about how to value money. The value of money is fairly important. I teach them respect, teach them who to respect and how to respect people. Because often find, I, I'm times I find that people struggle to respect because oftentimes they don't even respect themselves. And these things, you know, people say to me sometimes, oh, Pastor Stewart, I was listening to so-and-so speak this week and I was listening to this guy, I was listening to this DVD, I listened to this CT, CD and stuff like that. And I go, just slow down a little bit. Have you got last Sunday's message in your heart that you're of value to God? I think it's possible to read the Bible too fast and not let it soak in that you're a valuable person to God. Uh-huh. And out of that value that you realize that you are to God, it'll be proportionate to how much you care for others and value other people. Where does it say that? Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Can I use another word? Value your neighbor as much as you value yourself. Being able to value each other is so important because, it, as I say, can I say it again, it puts us in a position where we can value others and in turn take on values in our own personal lives. And some of those things that I know I've taken on in my personal life that I, that I value, uh, you know, the list could go on, but you, you've got values as well. You're not just, I'm not just 
sounding the first time you've ever heard this, but it's being able to walk in that confidence when Jesus said, I think, follow me, I'm going to make you. It will be the making of you to be able to walk like that. So our duty is to carry that conviction of value or the value around our heart of the Father's love, that God loves you and that you are valuable to God. It doesn't matter, you know, some people say, look, I'm racist, Pastor Stewart, you know. It's not one of my values to love everybody. Well, see, that's something that you have to deal with. I say for Christians, it's grace, not race. That's important to understand. And so if you're a racist, you'll find it very hard to value everyone the way that God values them. So there are areas that we may have to deal with in our heart to uphold the values of God around my life, to be strong in those values. As I said this morning, you know, it's powerful when we talk about even the glory of virginity we talked about the other week and how important this is a value. And, you know, for young girls and young guys to value virginity, every person's been born a virgin. How powerful is that? And yet the world pushes in to say, quick, give it away. The quicker you give it away, the more of a hero you are, you know. And it pushes in the pressure, but the inner conviction has to be stronger to say, no, uh, through education, I know why I have been born a virgin. It's for the, thank you, Joe. It's for the wedding night so that I can have that conviction, that person can have that conviction. So on that wedding night, they can actually stand there and and say, tonight I'm going to give you the strength of my manhood. The woman can say, tonight I'm giving you the glory of my womanhood. And, you know, the two can have a covenant relationship together. And they can walk in and talk about moral purity in and through their life. Girls today, girls in particular, just picking on girls for a minute, if a guy has slept around then sometimes she doesn't think that anything might change just because they went to church on Saturday and got married. Because if he was unfaithful then, why would stop him from being unfaithful now? And so there's a level of trust that's not quite there that has to be built up over time. But married, imagine marrying someone like that who's kept that purity in their life, stood on that, and it's a conviction to them. It's a value to me. This is the way God has made me. It's such a value to them. And they go, I'm different. You go to a party and some sleazy guy wants to run off with you. And you go, sorry, if you're a girl. Sorry, I don't roll that way. Even in in the church life, I say to the girls, don't marry a Christian boy, marry a godly man. Huh? Young adult girls, are you listening? Don't marry a Christian boy. Marry a godly man. That's a decision that he has in his heart. I want to be a godly man. God, make me a godly man. Strip away anything that's of my childhood. Once I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. 1 Corinthians 13. It's very, very important for strength to come around of, of my conviction of my life. It's like people, you know, when I used to go... Uh, to parties and stuff like that. I used to go to some pretty wild parties, Liam. And and uh, I usually got a fight, in a fight every party I went to. That's because I was trying to start one. Uh, you know, and, and, and I realized one day I decided I'm not going to drink anymore because it was causing me trouble. And I thought, I'm not going to do this anymore. 
and I stopped. And it's amazing how many people look like the devil by sticking it in your mouth, sticking it under your nose like this. Yeah, my cousin came one night, we were sitting in a bar. My cousin, who was a Victorian champion in uh, Taekwondo, Jiu-Jitsu or something like that, he was a champion, and uh, we are sitting in a bar one night, and he goes, you should drink like I do. And I go, I don't want to. He said, I can be a champion and drink as much as I like. And he did a flying kick on me as he leaped off the stool and whacked me. I was lying on the ground in the bar. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to get up and fight my cousin. And I thought, nah. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Because I'm not going to change him and he's sure not going to change me. Because there was a depth of conviction inside of me. That I'm just not going to roll that way anymore. It was a value that I had to my life. There was a value add to my life. And I had to fight for it a little bit. <laughs> Maybe that's not the right word to say. But I had to stand up a little bit for it. It just, didn't just come easy. And so it is that these values that we have around our life, and as I say, I'm sure you've got heaps of them, to stand strong in. So being able to carry the Father's love and the conviction of that is really, really important uh, to our life. That's important to a lot of people because the reason what happens for many Christians is when they get lazy, or put it this way, when Christians get comfortable, the thing that I notice that happens to them is they get cynical. When Christians get comfortable, they get cynical. That's a really good example to yourself to say, I am just getting here. God, because what's my value? My value, God, I always want to be expanding the kingdom. God, I always want to be pushing it. God, I always want to be seeing lives change. God, I just want to do things for your glory and your gain. God, don't let me get lazy. I just want to keep pushing. And that's your prayer. The moment I get comfortable, it's the first da- light on the dash flashing that says, I'm getting cynical, so I must be getting too comfortable. I've got to keep pushing in, so I'm taking risks. When you're taking risks, you haven't got time to be critical or cynical about anybody. You've got your head down and your tail up, and you're serving God to the portion He's called you to actually do that. And so the second point is, when I carry the values of God, I get to see that believers, and I hope I'm one of them, believers carry the remedy for mankind. They carry the remedy, and as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, the DNA in the life of the church is a level of boldness. They carry that remedy with boldness, not rudeness. It's a big difference between rudeness and boldness, but you'd know the difference. And this is able to to set up in my life as I carry those values and I, I push in like that. It sets boundaries in my life. It sets very clear boundaries of things that I do and there's things that I don't do because I've got these values that set boundaries that I'll be tempted on it at every front. But they'll be tested and proved and tried to the point where, no, I'm sold out on this value. You're not going to talk me out of that. You're not going to shift me on that. And this starts to develop the character of God around our life. I'm characterized by that, that I'm not a pushover. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we're against everything. It means often we're for more than we're against. But we can explain our faith. We can be people who have got these boundaries built around our life that are very, very strong. I know even when we go to Victoria, there's a little church that we love to support, and we've gone there for 30 years to support this church. My friend is there, and he says to me often, he says, feel free to go to another church if you want to go to another church. While you're here visiting, he said, you know, don't, don't feel you've got to come to our church every week, you know. 
It's only a little church, but in Cobram, we love it. And I go, mate, this is where I belong. This is where I am. I'm your friend. We're in this together. I don't need to go and look at other churches. This isn't about shopping. This is about a value. I value you. I value what you're doing, and I want to cheer you on. And that's not going to stop. He's, he's also got a dealership there. He sells cars. And so every time we go to Victoria, he gives us a brand-new car to drive. It's, it's wonderful. Big four-wheel drive, brand-new, whatever they are. He just gives it to us for a month or something to drive around and, and just really blesses us, you know. And not because he does that, but because he's my friend and I value our friendship, I've seen cars in other car yards that I wouldn't have mind buying when I was there. But I don't do it because he's my friend. And I value our friendship. See, values are important to us. They will set boundaries in your life. They will cause you to do things and not do things as you set those clear boundaries. They'll set you in different positions in society, in different positions at a party. As I said, you don't decide whether you go to a party whether you're going to take drugs or drink. You decide before you go to the party. And you carry that conviction into that place. So you're not convinced and persuaded by the circumstances of the situation. That the devil is very, very good at making it all, you know, like, you deserve it. You've been working so hard, you deserve a, a break, you know, whatever it might be. Or, you know, it's been a big week for you, a big year. You deserve, a, you know, this or you deserve that. Um, oh, you know, I've heard people... Well, why, so why did you drink so much and jump in your car and smash it? Oh, because someone offered me a drink. That's their answer. I'm thinking, hang on a minute. Don't you have values that are strong enough? And even if you're coming up with an, uh, an excuse, could you find a better one? <laughs> someone offered you something, so you took it? Are you so insecure? Is there so much rejection in your life that you haven't learned to say, no thanks? I don't have to do it. I don't have to have that. I don't need that in my own personal life. I think there's those things that people say, you know, like, well, everyone's doing it. Young people use it. Everyone's doing it. And I go, I'm not. Pastor Jane isn't. Pastor Josh isn't. So-and-so's not. So-and-so's not. So if you're going to say everybody, you better mean that everybody in the planet is doing this, but everybody is not doing it. There are people who say no to certain things. You with me? So I'm not sucked in by external things because I've built a moral warehouse in my life that oftentimes we do it with children. We build a moral warehouse in their life. I'm sure Chloe's doing that, building moral warehouse. This isn't babysitting on Sunday morning. This is building a moral warehouse that these children can make withdrawals on out of that moral warehouse to go, hang on a minute, we don't lie, we don't cheat. The older women should, the Bible says, train the younger women how to, how to be sensible. So the Bible says, how to be sensible. What's that mean? It means when a woman is sensible, she can make sense of life and she can be sensible. And so many times in Titus, it talks about this attitude, don't do these things as a woman because you'll disrespect the gospel of grace. They're powerful. You'll disrespect the word of God if you carry on like something else. I think these are, why do we have values? Why do we uphold them? One, because we can disrespect the gospel and disrespect God. Uh, number two is because it's not living the best life that God would cause us to live. 
And number three, it can be a, a difficult life. And so I believe as we wrap up tonight how important it is to be able to do that. It can be hard work to show integrity, commitment, but it goes a long way in doing that. Can we recap just for a moment? Being a person who values people. That doesn't mean we embrace everybody and let them into our home and and do things like that. It means that we have a capacity to value people the way that God values people and cares about them really does. We might go out witnessing on the street or doing something like that, but don't disrespect people and be rude with them because you have something to say and shove it down their neck. Be a person who listens to people and respects people and values people. For some people tonight, you know, I value me, but for some people that's a big thought. Because some people, for the most of their life, they're being told they're a nobody. They're useless. They're hopeless. You'll never become anything. And it's been told to them by people that they loved or they thought loved them. And it, it can be, the Bible talks about in Amos, it says, cut the fruit from below, above and the roots from below. Some of the times there's deep roots. It's very easy if you're sitting here tonight and go, of course I value me, of course I value life, of course I value. When, when are we having those hot dogs? <laughs> but if you let God get around your heart, just for a moment, could you ever imagine that you're still valuable to God? I've done some terrible, terrible things in my life, terrible things that would... If I wasn't a Christian, it would torment me to the point of death. But because Jesus has forgiven my sin and taken away my shame, that's why I can love him so much. Because I know he's not just a loving God, he's a practical God and meets me where I live. But he's doing this because he realized, I realize that, Stuart, I not only love you, but I value you as a person. I knew you in your mother's womb. I cared for you then, and I was there with you. People say, well, you know, it didn't feel like it when God was there, but God's here now. You might think, where was God all those years? I was suffering. But the good news is God is here now. He's the healer of the brokenhearted. But friend, tonight, don't be a person, if we're going to let God build our life, that just skips over this point. Because this is probably one of the most important foundational points you'll ever get in your life. I was told by a lot of people that I'd never become, to, never amount to anything. The hard thing is I believed a lot of them. I believed too many of them. Then I was like fighting, trying to get out of that small world that everyone had put me in. That's when I hit Jesus and he said, I value you, I love you. It wasn't just love as in, yeah, yeah. Someone said to me once, you know, my mum said she loved me and she died. So what? You tell me God loves me, so what? But God values you. And everything that God does is eternal. That's why it's all fulfilling, all encompassing, and never changes. He's given you gifts, talents, and abilities, and so on and so forth to, to some degree, increase your value on earth. But letting that soak into your heart, just for a moment, church, that I am valuable to God. 
If I wasn't here, I'd be missed. You would be missed. I'm a nobody, you know, I'm just making mistakes, traveling. No, just stop looking at your sin for a minute and look at Jesus. He said, you were valuable enough to die on the cross. Oh, but, you know, there's all those other people. See, don't do that. All those other people he would have died for as well. Now, if you're the only person on the planet, he still would have died for you. That's how valuable you are to God. And out of that place of that's a very deep well, we can have a very holy respect for God. Because you come and show me and tell me anybody who respects anybody at that level that God does. We just don't do it as humans that well. Especially when the person who's valuing you knows all about you. And I don't think I would guarantee, I can't speak in one way on behalf of God, but I guarantee that God has not whispered in your ear any gossip about the person that just talked to him three days ago. He's very good at keeping secrets, God. He values you. He doesn't demoralize other people by telling you bad stuff about them. And so we come, we stand in the presence of a holy God. We feel sometimes ashamed of what we've done. And I think it's good sometimes just for a minute to feel that but also feel the power of the covering blood of Jesus to cover all of my sin. As if when my Father looks at me, I have never sinned. The word justification. I've been justified before God just as if I had never sinned. My God, you're so smart and you value me as a person, who would, who would I be then to think less of people? And God looks at you and he, he doesn't go, well, you're a, you know, you're a brain surgeon, so I value more, you more than someone else, or you're a hard worker, I value. Uh, God sort of comes and has this very personal, but yet very general, yet very individual heart that he has towards each of us. He says it like this, you're the apple of my eye. The word apple of my eye in one translation means this, God's saying this, you are the center of my affection. Wow. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that? Are we just too busy? Do we ever feel the way the maker, the person who made me, thinks about me today? Oh, but my sin. Don't ever let your sin be greater than the bigness of God. God doesn't do it. Either should you. When God forgives you, it's over. It's done. When you know he's forgiven you. Father, we thank you tonight in this very sincere, sober, but yet genuine moment. 
like we talked about tonight, our purpose is to carry your presence. That tonight, God, we could just think about if we could go there just for a moment in our emotions, in our mind, in our hearts, that, God, we are valuable to you. We thank you, Father, tonight for that simplicity and that purity to still our hearts and still our minds just for a moment so we can practically and very genuinely value other people, serve them, care about them, be interested in their life, starve out pride and jealousy and selfishness and just let a simplicity of heart flow through our lives and through our children and children's children. To let the next conversation we have with someone be the most, talk to the most important person in the world, the person we're talking to. Help us, we pray, Father, for that simplicity of heart.